but not every new location is going to go according to plan. So there, there needs to be some, you know, cushion built into your forecast that you can absorb uh, a little bit of uh, competition or a little bit of economic downturn. So you want to have a real realistic projection and nothing where you're kind of forecasting very aggressively. This is Pete Moore here on Halo Talks NYC. We are inside the Halo Academy with my partner since April 1, 2010, who's allergic to parsley, David Zalkowicz. <laughs> Hello, Pete, and uh, thank you for having me. Excellent, excellent. So we've been doing this for seven and a half years uh, together at this point, focused on the health and fitness sector, which we are now officially calling the Halo sector, health, active lifestyle, and outdoors. I'm very excited about that. Good, because you are part of the halo effect, whether you know it or not. Yes. So what we want to talk about on this segment here is as people build out locations, they really need to think about a prototype and a flagship that could be replicable because any investor that's going to look at this business might buy into your business, but might buy into your vision. They might buy into your marketing, your branding. But at the end of the day, it comes down to does an Excel model that has numbers in it. You've done it before. Show me you can do it again. And Dave's going to give us a little background. And then the actual prototype templates are going to be inside the academy. But just we're going to have a conversation here so everyone understands all the levers, the assumptions that are in there, and what really drives the business and how you explain that to an investor so they get comfortable with putting capital behind it. Correct. And I, I would just say before you even think about greenfielding, your model you got to really have a model that works and so you have to think about this uh, from an unbiased standpoint of view you know does your existing business as an owner operator generate positive cash flow and is it replicable replicable you know you, you're not going to go out there and you know franchise a business or to establish new clubs or studios if these current business is not working I think it's a great point. When you look at franchising, um, somewhere in the last 10 years, they allowed you to franchise a business without actually having your own studio. <laughs> you know, that you said, okay, this is what I've done. You're going to pay me a royalty to use my brand and to use my playbook and my operating model to replicate similar to the McDonald's model where I'm going to provide these products at these prices and here's what the footprint looks like and it's going to be scalable business because you're going to do exactly what I tell you to do. Right. And we, whenever we're dealing with prospective buyers and showing them existing businesses uh, of our clients, it's always about, you know, how can we replicate this business model going forward? Because that's really where the growth is, you know, the majority of the time in, in this industry in terms of the returns from when there's a, an M&A transaction. So every, every prospective buyer is going to look at your existing business and say, you know, what, is, what kind of cash flow is it generating and can I scale it? And then, you know, this all comes down to when, when Dave used the term greenfield, you know, it's basically a location that is built from the ground up or inside of a current strip center. And that is a greenfield. That is a new location. Right. It's either first generation space, which is total new build, or it's a second generation space, which is kind of a retrofit of an existing location. And, it, you know, we've, we've seen both. We have clients who do both. Some um, people are, 
are prone to do certain types of businesses, uh, certain types of build-outs. Um, we've had clients who just focus on first-generation build-outs because they like to start from you know the scratch and work with the architect and the landlord uh, from the beginning. Others like to take uh, a second-generation space, especially now with the real estate market and retail uh, struggling. There's a lot of available secondary space that's pretty pretty good deal for pe- for people to rent out and to get uh, tenant improvement allowances from the landlord to help uh, mitigate the cost of uh, construction. Yeah, so you can grow a, a company-owned model, whether it's a health club, a fitness studio, a drugstore. You can either do it by Greenfield, which is the first generation, second generation, or third generation space, or you can grow it through acquisition. So when we either say, is a greenfield model or is an acquisition consolidation model? Those are the two terms that you'll need to know when you talk to an investor. And when we use the term prototype, you know, this really is um, when you see a new product and you say, okay, this is what the prototype looks like and we're going to test it and then we're going to replicate it. Um, so in every one of the decks that we put together and every one of the Excel models, there's basically a unit economic model that if we find a rent in a certain amount of square feet, this is what that unit is going to produce based on what our historical performance has been. And that's going to show a cash on cash return. And when we get to break even, and that's where you're going to have to sell an investor that you can replicate that in your current geographic region or in, in other geographic regions. So maybe talk about some of the, the drivers on how you build this up. And obviously you're building up, you know, from the bottom up and not the top down. Sure. I, I think, I guess, depending on, on who's listening to the call, if you're at a, uh, an existing business, which has a number of locations already and, and you know, you're, you have five locations, you're looking to expand to 10 or 15 or 20 and looking for some growth equity capital, or you are a single unit operator that has, um, you know, one or two units and looking to build out uh, three or four, you know, if, I think before you get into like running the numbers, you have to really understand who your customer is. And, you know, from that, that standpoint, it's important to understand your customer, what are the demographics of your customer, their average age, whether they're male, female, uh, you know, what kind of average household income they have, what their spending habits are, where they go to shop, because that's imperative in terms of figuring out where you might build your new location. You know, obviously, if your clientele is mainly single men, you're not going to a you know family oriented small town you know which is uh, not going to produce enough cu- customers for your for your business in order to generate revenue so it's important to know who your customers are uh, whether young professionals or predominantly male predominantly female and uh, or fa- you know heavily family oriented so so a great example of that would be um, soul cycle which is a very high end um, cycling studio Hasn't gone public yet, but they've stated in their S1 documents, which is their public offering documents, that they think they can have 250 locations in the U.S. Now, we know Orange Theory has at least 1,000 locations in the U.S. So Orange Theory is going after the Tier B, Tier C uh, suburban markets, and they're also in urban markets. But SoulCycle knows from the demographics that you're referencing here that there's a price point that only exists in certain dense areas that will warrant a successful prototype exactly. that they can drop into. So that's, so it's very important to really know who, who you're targeting. 
And then the second thing is like when you're going out and around and looking at di different locations, you really have to uh, kind of you know roll up your sleeves and 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 put your put your shoes on and you know, sneakers on and and go and search for places and not only like talk to landlords about kind of what deals they can uh, arrange with you in terms of retrofitting or building out a new location, uh, what kind of rent breaks they would they would get if you, if you would were to fund it all yourself. You know, it's important to be able to, to, to look and see what's around. And then as part of that, look at the demographic information. There's a number of uh, sources that people can... Software. Software, like Buxton software that people can use mm -hmm. to run different demographic information from the you know, 5, 10, 15-minute drive times around certain locations. You know, Esri does, ESRI does... Uh, you know, use the census data to do drive time information. And that'll give you a sense of how, what's the population here, you know, how many, what's their average household income, you know, what percent is male, male, male versus female, that kind of info education, that kind of information is imperative to match up with your customers. So, so all that stuff is important. Yeah. And, and don't discount the amount of time it takes to find the perfect location. Um, Equinox is an example. It took them five years to find their West Hollywood location because um, they wanted to find an A location that was in the right retail corner in that area. And, you know, by waiting to get that deal, that's where they, they planted their flag and, and they're, they're happy about it. So, you know, doing things opportunistically, if the economics make sense, could be a good strategy. But if you're very disciplined and you can walk away from deals, that's typically the operators that we see that are most successful. Um, well, they'll let deals go if they don't really fit into a box of this is a perfect location. We know that this is a prototype and it can make money. Yeah. I mean, a lot of our a lot of our clients have either their own real estate groups in-house in or they, they have uh, people that they know who are specific in real estate that they work with to, to run demographic reports for them. But if you're a, you know, a small operator, you can work with your, uh, you know, a broker to help them run that. Those reports you can look up on the census data and pay for some uh, reports for yourself. But you also have to just drive the area and you have to see what the, what the traffic is around the area, what the foot traffic is, what the car traffic is, and see whether it kind of really meets your specs in terms of, the customer and, and in terms of the, the volume. And then once you figure out, you know, all right, this is a good location and you talk to the landlord to get a feel for how much it would cost to build out the property on a square foot basis and an absolute dollar basis and what the rent rent cost is going to be over time, uh, you can start kind of putting pencil to paper and modeling this this out. And, you know, you have to really think about this as, as how much cash flow is, is a new unit going to generate um, versus how much of uh, how much is the total cost to build build the new unit, and you got well, what we typically do is we look at things over a five year period in general. Um, that's a that's a pretty good reasonable amount of time frame to think about a return on investment. I think anything more than five years is not worth the time to uh, invest in a specific site. So you really want to look at what is the time it takes. To, break even and then what is the time what is the amount of return i can get over a five-year period so some of the things you really want to look at is just building out your model what is the revenue built ramp and what is the, what's the expense ramp and you really want to get down to an ebitda in earnings, earnings before interest taxes depreciation and amortization we kind of use that as a proxy for cash flow instead of building out a full 
balance sheet and cash flow statement in a full detail model, which we do normally. But uh, if you, if you're just um, a single operator and and you're thinking about doing this uh, yourself, you can easily kind of look at your existing business, see what your existing business, uh, your existing unit or two, is doing and um, are doing, and then take the the, the typical. Uh, unit and kind of forecast that out given the square footage of the the location you're looking at and the rents uh, that you've gotten from your landlord uh, in terms of conversations and then you can kind of plug that in to a forecast and thinking about you know how many members that that location can generate what's the average price per member uh, in terms of the the monthly fees you know then how you how would you staff the, the the new location your rent costs and you kind of want to get down to kind of an operating profit uh, be, before taxes and, and then you want to think about what is the total cost to build out the this the location you know what are the, the amount of leasehold improvements you need to do in terms of just fixing the box mm-hmm. and making it look uh, nice uh, to your standards and to your brand and then what kind of equipment that you're going to need to purchase to put inside that that box and whether the, the landlord's going to give you any help with doing that or not and uh, then once you're you're up and running and you have a nice new location you also you know want to keep it nice and new and got to think about what your you know future maintenance capex is going to be um, kind of years 2 through through 5 and so you basically want to take your total outflows and then offset them by your total inflows, and your inflows are really EBITDA. And if your if your inflows are greater than your outflows, you're going to have a return. And the higher return, the better it is. So, so from a standpoint of, I've got this great idea for a new studio. It's going to be five thousand square feet. It's going to be high intensity training and, and cycling. That's typically a studio that you're going to put your own money into. You're going to get an SBA loan or you're going to have friends and family who are basically investing in you. A private equity firm or a venture capital firm is not looking to take the risk on your concept. They want to have you show us what the prototype could do. And then if that works and we believe it's replicable and we like your management team and you're realistic about the valuation and what you're trying to do in a certain period of time, then that's then, then you're onto the phase of, of raising growth equity to to build your business and build your team. Just a couple other points to to add on to what Dave was mentioning. There's this term um, that a lot of people use, and most people's financials uh, have what's called a hockey stick projection. And hockey stick projections are basically the blade of the stick is at year one, and the rest of it goes upwards at some astronomical uh, rate. So. Uh, you really need to defend your projections. And in a number of these health clubs and in these studios, you have capacity constraints. So if you're going to tell me that you have a 5,000 square foot location and you have a certain amount of classes and there are a certain amount of bikes available, make sure that the number of people are, do not exceed the number of bikes. That's a, a very right. quick way to not get capital. Yeah, I mean, one of the metrics we we look at is kind of square foot per member, you know, and something like a Planet Fitness could have uh, two to three, you know, square feet per member because it could be a 15,000 or 20,000 square foot studio uh, or club that they own and they have 10,000 members, you know. So mm-hmm. you could have two square feet per member. And if anything kind of smaller than that, it gets really crowded. 
right. it's t- the, 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 the quality of the workout could be impacted. So when you're, you know, forecasting your ramp of your members, depending on what the size of the square footage of your location is, you have to think about that. Yeah. And there's also, and, and you guys will see all this, you know, inside the Academy and the templates, but you know, you, you hit a ceiling on revenue per member. Um, as an example, an Equinox might have a $2,500 or $3,000 per member per year revenue. But if you start, if you say, I'm going to build a club that's similar to an Equinox and I'm going to get $8,000 per revenue per member, you know, someone's going to quickly call, you know, bullshit right. on you. And that, that's and the, the things you need to worry about when you build these models out and have a prototype that is either yeah, based any, on historical right. or any prospective buyer. Um, or investors going to look at your existing business and if you're generating $300 per per member and you're forecasting in your greenfield, you know, ramp that you're you're doing $500 per member, there better be justification on why that is. So so it's important to to think about that as well as you know, the capital outlay is, is not necessarily just from the the build out, but you have to understand is that most of the businesses uh, in our industry, they Whenever they're launching a new club or studio, there's there's a pre-sale period, and usually it's a six-month pre-sale period where they're going out there and they're marketing that this new club is going to be opening, and um, they're basically have staffed a lot of uh, the that marketing effort, and they're they're maybe paying they're most likely paying rent or they get it's in a free rent period, so it really depends on kind of what you've negotiated with your landlord. A lot of a lot of the negotiation you get kind of six month free rent and that kind of helps you during the during the pre-sale period sometimes you get the first year rent uh, free as well but you have to really think about the fact that you're going to you could be bleeding expenses over the the pre-sale period and not generating any revenue that that you know you can you can offset with that it really depends on when that cash comes in and you got to think about those inflows versus the actual expenses you're dealing with the you know in terms of opening a new store and and in um you know, a little bit of a history lesson on the health club industry. What used to happen 20, 30 years ago is somebody would put up a sign and says, Hey, I'm opening up a health club. Uh, and then you start selling memberships and then they would take the money from the memberships, use that to actually build a club. Right. Um, so the consumer protection act kind of changed that on a state by state basis, which said, if you collect any membership revenue that goes into a bank account that you're not allowed to touch and it's basically bonded and insured. So the members are not, financing the the club that may or may not ever open so don't assume that you can sell memberships and use that cash to to build a club because that's no longer financing source um but from a standpoint of of looking at i guess to focus on you know some of the mistakes or 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 trip ups that you've seen you know talk about you know when someone pays a a high rent and, and assumes that that corresponds to you know, a certain amount of traffic, but you're, but you're now saddled with a, a million dollar a year rent versus someone who's three blocks away who might have a 30 or $40,000 a month rent and, and the same kind of model. Like, how, how do you think about, you know, like your fixed cost and like what members you need to get to break even? Yeah. I mean, typically rent is usually kind of eight to 10% of your revenue and labor costs is 35 to 45% of your revenue, depending on you know, the size of your, your footprint, if you add in all the occupancy costs, such as utilities, uh, you know, the rent plus the occupancy costs, it, you know, could, could be more than like 15% of, of your, 
your 12 to 15 percent of your revenue so those are costs where you know you're gonna have to cover you have to staff this club regardless you have to pay the rent regardless of how many members that you you're able to generate in the club and and if the you really need to understand what is the competitive footprint within five minutes 10 minutes 15 minute drive time away from your club or or um, store uh, to really understand the ability to generate members and a lot of people think it's very easy to generate members but the fact of the matter is in this industry the health and fitness industry you're going to lose three and a half to four and a half percent of your members every month regardless just due to normal attrition Mm -hmm. so i mean that's a that's a great point so just just picking up on that and we talk about this in other areas of our business but really like understanding the business model that you're playing so if you take a planet fitness and you have low rent you're, you're not on the you're not on main and main but you need 500 parking spots and if you go and put that in a strip center that used to be a cvs and there's 50 parking spots you know that that your business model is flawed because uh, people aren't going to belong there and and you need to have that capacity you also need to have signage and you need to have aggressive sales and marketing because you're effectively running you know, a laundromat of fitness equipment and very low labor. Right. Uh, if you're an Equinox, you might say, you know what, I want to be in the highest end Neiman Marcus, you know, mall or, or, or plaza because my brand is akin to what they're providing, which is a, a, a lifestyle and a, a social status. And people are willing to pay to come to this specific location, like a fashion island and Newport or uh, Short Hills, uh, New Jersey, and you're willing to pay a higher rent there because you know that the, the, the propensity to pay on the member is they want to be aspirational and they want to say, I, I belong to Equinox. I don't belong to Planet Fitness. Right. Uh, and I, it, you know, it's very easy to forecast in an Excel model. You know, we're going to have we generate 200 new members every month, you know, but the fact of the matter is it's not so easy. And, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of there's been a lot of overbuilding in our industry over the last decade. Uh, there's a lot of competition. So you really need to understand where this potential location is, where the, what the customer, what the competitive environment is, what they're charging per member, and then figuring out, you know, given the traffic and the foot traffic and the oh no traffic and whether you're in a mall or you're, you're, you're in a standalone uh, location, really how difficult it is to you know sell new memberships and, and it's mm-hmm. not an easy thing uh and you got to really think about it on a conservative basis and it, you only you're only going to be successful if you have an existing proven you know business model where you're there's some differentiation in your business that that will drive traffic because it's important it's important to be able to justify your membership trends over time yeah i think one of the little I won't change a little known fact, but I think one thing that people overlook is that when a Planet Fitness gets to 2,000 locations or an Orange Theory gets to 1,000 locations or Dunkin' Donuts gets to 10,000, and there's a in Dunkin' Donuts, it's actually a 5% ad fund per location. In, in Orange Theory and Planet, it's, it's probably a 2% ad fund. So every time they open up a new location, you're looking at another forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 that's going into this co-op ad fund, which gets you Planet Fitness ads on cable television, gets you on Times Square with everybody wearing the gear for eight, $10 million promotion right. on the day before everyone's thinking about, you know, hopefully it's one of my top five 
resolution. So if I'm a, you know, Pete and Dave's, uh, you know, boutique fitness and we're posting up against the orange theory or, um, a soul cycle or somebody that has a big ad fund, like we've got to be prepared to overspend Yep. and we've got one location and the cash flow from that one location, you know, is not going to compete against a $150 million ad fund that has a, a celebrity attached to it and a banner in, in times square. So, one of the things in this industry, and I think the reason why people are going to gravitate towards a franchise is it basically gives them like a marketing competitive advantage and a level of protection over time that you got a big corporate overhead team that is helping you and, and basically helping you with these prototype models as well because they can validate that, okay, this is what Orange Theory does in these regions. You know, I'm going into this new region. I might have one or two locations, but this is what the network's doing. Right. So and then, that's helpful. No, like the orange theory is such a it's a unique workout and it's a it was a differentiated workout when it first started and you know it was able to 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 catch on uh and and get repeat users and and and, you know so you from you know if you're a an owner operator with you know a a couple locations because we get this question a lot from you know personal trainers are thinking about leaving you know equinox or lifetime fitness um and, and going to start their own training a studio and where they may have already opened a, a one or two trading studios mm-hmm. and they want to leverage that idea and open a number of additional studios you know you really need to make sure that your idea is differentiated and that you're really adding value so you can you know generate repeat customers and because finding members and keeping members is a very challenging thing agreed um so th- there's a prototype template inside the academy yeah, so you can help people, you know, build these out based on their their own local demographics and right. And and you'll you'll be able to plug in, you know, the the cost per square foot, you know, the the amount of uh, rent per square foot, uh, you know, your your labor cost as a percent of revenue, your revenue per square foot, your square foot per member, your revenue per member, uh, all the kind of benchmarks that we look at uh, when we're looking at. Uh, companies in this industry you know you'll be able to see in the prototype build out and then you know it's just a matter of really being able to justify your assumptions based on an existing business uh, that is that has been proven to work Uh, no one's going to believe something that hasn't been built yet and uh, everyone's going to look at your prototype assumptions of your revenue and expense ramp and your EBITDA forecasts based on what your existing business is doing, your, your current club right. or clubs um, or studios. So why don't we just touch on the, the build-out cost template? So, so we touched on you know the actual equipment that goes in. Um, obviously, you've got like the air conditioning. You've got the leasehold improvements for people that don't understand what that term is. That's basically putting in the locker rooms and putting in the mirrors and putting in the the vents and uh, yeah, you know, making the, making it look like a club or a studio. Right. And, and from a financing standpoint, if you think about equipment financing and the reason why most people that build new locations can, can get a, a bank or get a specialty finance company to give them money to buy 20, 30, 40, 50 treadmills or bicycles is for one reason. If they don't pay the equipment lease, then they go there with an 18 wheeler and they take all the equipment, take it out, take it out. And you can't take out the showers <laughs> and you can't take off the mirrors and you, it's very hard to take out the, the AC ducts. So you typically can get financing for things that are 
easily movable for the for the fact that the person that's got to repo that is is going to be able to get it out. Uh, everything else you're either going to have to finance with equity or potentially get tenant improvement dollars, which we call TI right, dollars yeah. from uh, from the landlord. Um, and usually there's a you know if you're getting money from the landlord, you're usually paying a higher rental cost. Uh, uh, if you're not taking dollars, you can say, hey, listen, I'm not gonna take any of your money give me a break on the rent right so, so you're basically a getting a trade-off there yeah i mean i mean ti dollars for those people haven't built out a location is effectively called an interest-free loan from the landlord that you pay back over the life of the lease so some of the other hidden costs here are things that and dave west will probably talk a little bit about this but you know you got to think about this the, the soundproofing of locations you got to think about who your adjacent tenants are um, you have to think about a security system and you know, what kind of market you're in. And if you have a women's only location, you know, it's probably better to be in a well-lit parking lot and, you know, with front view for, from, you know, for a safety standpoint. So um, th- those are things that, that you got to calibrate into your, your cost. There was also something called CAM charges, common area maintenance charges that um, may not be part of the base rent. But if you're part of a retail strip center, you're part of a mall, you're basically paying a percentage of what it takes to maintain the your pro rata percentage of the malls, landscaping, paving, painting, security, everything that goes on in that location. You're paying your pro rata share, which right. in some locations, you know, is Could exorbitant. Yeah, you know, yeah. And there's also property taxes and insurance, property insurance that you have to account for, and you know, in terms of uh, you know your total occupancy costs and your utilities. Yeah, and we've seen a number of um, a number of groups buy a piece of real estate that would be considered an owner-operated property. If that's a standalone location, um, that typically gets pretty strong financing right now um, because it could be retrofitted into some other type of retail outlet. If this this property doesn't work as a studio or as a as a health club, if you have adjacent tenants, that's something that you own the real estate. That's also a benefit because you're diversifying that property. Um, and hopefully everyone's benefiting from the traffic. So it's a good time to get into the fitness industry and in the halo sector. Uh, we think a lot of the mall operators, a lot of the, the retail A and B strip centers are, are all going to be courting services uh, providers, whether that's fitness or beauty or experiential or entertainment or bowling or anything that somebody can do outside of their house, I think. As I look at the deliveries of uh, Amazon boxes into my apartment building, um, there's rarely anybody that's you know going out to go and buy something that they could shop online on their phone with their thumb and then get it delivered. So right, you, yeah, can't, you can't work up a sweat by ordering something on Amazon. Although I guess uh, you can order a thousand things and get a like stomach. Yeah, you, you can get, you get your thumb. You can get a sweaty. Yeah, you can get a prosthetic right thumb. You know, so that'd be awesome. You, know, fitness, you should get fitness, one actually <laughs> fitness clubs are, are are becoming a real staple of of malls and 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 landlords really like them they're proven to be fairly recession proof over the life of the industry uh, as we've seen the growth of the number of clubs and studios uh, go up uh, almost every year except for during the the great recession and even even then we still we still saw you know a, a very small decline in, in total clubs and, and total members. It was a very short-lived reduction. Yeah, and I, and I would say, given the amount of work that we've done in the sector, 
and the fact that there's New York sports clubs under town sports. It's a publicly traded company. Planet fitness is a publicly traded company. There's franchise disclosure documents on at least a dozen studios. These prototypes are not something that you need to create an art project or a science project on. There's comparable businesses that you can get copies of their financials and kind of piecemeal together what your concept is and, and actually be able to comp your data against their data. And what I would say, and Dave's going to agree with this, that if there's a competitor across the street, you know, don't step, stay in that town, go to the next town over. So, you know, irrational development, I think is probably the biggest issue in this industry right now. And I think historically a number of operators would look at a club that's five or 10 years old and basically say, okay, I can compete against that with a new product. I think Planet Fitness has done a great job of that, but I wouldn't recommend it going forward. Um, where if someone had 5,000 members, you would say, okay, I'll put up a location up across the street from them and I'll get a third of their members and that'll be a, a third of my way towards where I want to get to. Right. I um, mean, and, uh, you know, the, pr the, the pricing trends over the last decade have come down because of Planet Fitness and the low-cost operators and it's put a lot of pressure on the middle market firms in the industry and if you're, if you're going to start a, a new brand these days, you have to be cognizant that, you know, there's a lot of people selling nine ninety nine memberships uh, per month and or nineteen ninety nine memberships per month. So if you're coming out with something that's you know thirty dollars a class or forty five dollars a month membership, you better be a differentiated workout. Yeah, I think being being caught in the middle of any industry where you've got low price alternatives and you've got much higher end finishes and much more of a lifestyle community play you're going to try and figure out what your vision is and it's not a great place to play pinball in between a low cost operator and a, an Equinox. So find your niche, commit to it. Don't go outside of your box when it comes to what you need the prototype to produce. Right. And I think from our experience and I say experience is what you get when you don't get what you want. We've got plenty of clients that have not got what they want from building new locations, uh, you know, opportunistically. And we've seen it, and a number of things that we've done as well. But not every new location is going to go according to plan. So there, there needs to be some, you know, cushion built into your forecast that you can absorb uh, a little bit of uh, competition or a little bit of economic downturn. So you want to have a real realistic projection and nothing where you're kind of forecasting very aggressively. And I would say in closing here that if you pick good locations and you manage them and you grow systematically uh, and at the pace of your team's ability to grow, if you don't make any mistakes, you will be, you'll have an awesome company. If you make two or three mistakes out of 10, you're going to spend an inordinate amount of your time trying to fix three locations that just might not be fixable because you made the wrong real estate selection or the rent's too high. Um, and we've seen a number of big club operators basically say, look, I'm getting out of that location. I'm going to go dark, which is a term where they just basically close the club, keep paying a landlord rent mm -hmm. until the lease ends. And they basically say, you know what? I'm not going to spend my time trying to fix something. It's not fixable. Yeah. We, we look at, when we're looking at clients' portfolios, club portfolios, we're looking at every club and, you know, looking at the benchmarking uh, metrics as well as, you know, what how many clubs are even not positive. And uh, more, most often than not, a lot of clubs are not EBITDA positive in the portfolio. And you can go and talk to our clients about why that is. And it's, 
either was a bad location, difficult relationship with the landlord, new competition showed up in the area, and we've been struggling with memberships, uh, selling memberships and higher attrition. So it's really important to go slowly and make sure you have a defensible business model and a, and a, a realistic projections, and you really take the time to pick out the location. You don't want to be you know, a New York-based studio business or, or club business and open a, a location in Ohio. Uh, I mean, it just feasibly, you know, to manage that so far away just doesn't make sense. You want to be able to leverage your, your overhead, your back office operations and, and benefit from that. Yeah, I do, I do think that's, we're, we're kind of jumping around here, but I think one of the, the best advice that anyone's given is to, to sequentially or move into adjacent markets. And I think a number of operators have thought that given their ability to use these um, mapping softwares, that they could just map a city that has some good growth characteristics to it, like a Dallas or an Austin. And say, hey, I could just drop ship one of my regional general managers, if we're still using the health club example. And um, yeah, these four locations, you know, rank, you know, 80% or 90% on our mapping software. And they realized that the mapping software didn't take an account to an overpass or didn't take an account into local habits. And they didn't have a real estate person on the ground. And that's typically when we get the call two years later from someone who says, hey, I put X amount of millions of dollars into this club. Do you have anyone that'll pay me that back? Mm -hmm. And we said, well, we might have somebody that'll give you a dollar and take over your lease. So a bad location is a bad location and probably has a zero to a dollar of value and write it off and move on. Sorry. That's our, that's our commentary on prototypes, greenfields, strategy, and parsley. Exactly. Thank you, David. You're welcome.